0: All right, let me begin with a question, uh, really two, uh, from last week. How many of you believe that God is real? Raise your hand. Very good. How many of you believe that the Bible is true? Raise your hand. Okay, we're done here. Go get your donuts. So why are we doing this? Because, well, I'm literally preaching to the choir, or at least to the people that agree with what I'm going to say. So why even bother going about it? Well, first of all, because, let's be honest, we all have doubts. Though we all raised our hand, or at least I think everybody did, uh, we have doubts from time to time. Is, Is my God truly real? I can't see him. Sometimes he appears to be absent. He doesn't always agree with what my prayers say. So, can I trust him? That's the real question there, and... And then do I have a reliable source that tells me all about him so that even though in my thoughts I don't always know everything about him, I can go through the reference book and know what he's like. So as we look today, I'm hoping that over these next few minutes that your faith is strengthened, that you're more confident that the Bible is true, that we do have a God who loves us and we can trust him in all things. But also, so that you can go out in your your everyday life, in your regular conversations, and when others have doubts, or even when they're skeptical, or even when they are anti-God or anti-Jesus, that you can explain to them all the evidence that points the fact that there is a God and we have a book that tells us all about him. And it's not as, as easy maybe as, as what, what we would think, is, especially if you're a lifelong Christian. So let me, let me use this analogy. Uh, let's, let's just say that I were to take 10 people from the congregation this morning. Pick any 10. And, well, let's just say then that you grew up all in the same place, let's say Crystal Lake. You all grew up in Crystal Lake, you all speak the same language, which probably is, is English. Let's all say you went to the same school, whichever one that it was, and you have, you have similar backgrounds uh, in, in your parents and in, in everything that you know. And then I were to take you, ten, whomever you are, and, and I moved you all the way across the country to California, and, and you can't talk to each other, you can't text each other, you can't a video chat with anyone, you can't Zoom, you can't have any contact at all. And then, over these next 30 years, you are, you are going to write a book. And let's say it's a book on a rather controversial subject. Uh, let's say, uh, maybe the meaning of life. What are the odds that, after 30 years, that your book, books, would be identical? What do you think? Probably no chance whatsoever, right? Or very, very, very little chance. And yet, what we're going to talk about today is not just a book, because truly this is a 66th book, written over 1,500 years, not by 10, but by 40 different authors who lived on three different continents, and wrote in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And yet throughout, there is this golden thread. They all talk about a very controversial subject. Is there a God? Can we trust him? They answer the three questions that every worldview has. And that is, who are we? Why are we here? I ask that question almost every Sunday. Why am I here doing what I do? And then, why is there evil and suffering in the world? It's the one that comes up all the time. If if there is a God and he is good and he is powerful, then why do bad things happen? It's answered in Genesis 3 already because of sin, which has tainted everything, which I'm pretty sure makes it uh, 10 below on a Sunday morning. It has to be sin. What else could it be? And then the solution the only solution to all of this is that God will return. He has already returned as a human being, the God-man Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross so that we could have the relationship that we once lost restored forever. That's the golden thread and that is what we see in every book of those 66. Now to help equip you, we are going to go through four specific reasons why you can believe that the Bible is true. First of all, I believe the Bible because it is historically reliable. Now, here's the caveat. No one can prove or really disprove what happened in the ancient past. Let me give you an example. Uh, How many of you uh, are paying any attention at all to the NFL playoffs? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, there were a couple games yesterday. Can someone tell me who played? Houston and Cleveland and Kansas City and the Dolphins, right? I think that's it. How do you know? Was anybody there? TV. We have evidence. You can take... Photographs today. We have video today. We have recordings today. But we don't have that in ancient history. You can't go back a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand years. There are no photographs. There is no video. So all we can do is present the evidence. So put up that first picture, someone identify who that is. Anybody? George Washington. How many of you believe that George Washington did exist and was indeed the very first president of these here United States? Okay, we're probably all in agreement with that. How do you know? There aren't even any photographs of George Washington. That's a picture of a painting. And yet, we don't have any problem at all believing that there was a George Washington because there are letters. There are anecdotes. There are all kinds of stories that have been passed on. And he truly was real. Well, I've got a couple of other pictures here. Go ahead and put those up there. This is Julius Caesar. How many of you believe Julius Caesar existed? Okay. Next one. This is Plato. Anybody ever heard of him? Raise your hand. The last one. Go ahead. This is Homer. Not Homer versman, the guy that wrote the Iliad, and the Odyssey, right? So how do we know that any of them existed? We have no photographs. We, here's the problem. We don't have any of the ancient writing. Not a single writing of Caesar or Plato or Homer. What do we have are copies. I have a chart for you. And you're not going to be able to digest all of it. But here here is Julius Caesar, who lived between 144 BC. We have none of his original writings. It takes almost 1,000 years after his death, about 900 AD, to even have the very first copy of one of his writings. And then we only have 10. How about Plato? He lived 300 years before Caesar. It took almost 1,300 years before we had any copies of the originals, and there's only seven. Now we have Homer. He lived 400 years before Plato. took about 500 years for those earliest copies, and we have the most of any antiquity in ancient history. 643, except, can you guess, the New Testament. Written between 40 and 100 A.D. And yet we have copies within the very first 25 years of the book of Revelation. And we have 24,000 copies of the originals. Now Let me explain how this works. How many of you have this? Go ahead and hold it up. This is not the original. It's a copy. How many of you believe that it's exactly the same as this one, Sans Answers? It is. You can actually look at it later if you don't believe me. We have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies. Now, what makes this... So special is, I think we have a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of them? Raise your hand. Dead Sea Scrolls. What are they? They are copies of the original Old Testament. Can anybody tell me what was the Old Testament originally written in? Hebrew. Up until these discoveries, most of the copies were in Greek. And they were written in the... 1st and 2nd centuries A.D., almost 2,000 years ago. So these were discovered in 1947 by a little shepherd boy near Jericho, Qumran, in Judea, in Israel. And they compared these writings written in Hebrew about 100 B.C. to those that were written in Greek and copies written 300 years later. And they were 95% the same. Does that give you a little confidence that what was written in here is what we had originally? It ought to. Because we have now about 99.5% of what is considered the original documents in the Bible. And if that doesn't convince you, then we have something called archaeology how many of you have ever heard as you have heard stories or looked at the bible have ever heard of bethesda anybody bethesda we used to have this thing here in crystal lake now it's called able light it was the bethesda thrift store do you know what it was named for the pool of bethesda in the bible it was a pool where people would go and then they would be healed if they could get in quickly enough in the water. Well, scholars said there is no Bethesda. It has never been discovered. For centuries they said there is no Bethesda. The Bible's wrong. And then in 1888, the pool was discovered. And you can go there today. I've been there. It's real. That's just one example. How about Jericho? Ever heard of that one? I mentioned it earlier. What's the story in Sunday school, Bethesda, or uh, Jericho? The people of Israel marched around it. They blew their trumpets. What they do on the seventh day? They marched around how many times? Seven times. Scholars said, there's no evidence of Jericho. Well, there's a modern city, but there's no ancient ruins. Until 1930, the ancient ruins of Jericho were discovered. They'd always said you couldn't march around a city seven times. It's impossible. Do you know how, the, how big the ancient city of Jericho was? Smaller than the property of Emmanuel. Could you walk around seven times this morning? I wouldn't advise it, but could you? If it wasn't snowing out, you'd never put a snow on the ground. Yes! You could walk around seven times and then go have lunch. It's not that big. I believe the Bible because it is historically reliable. It's also scientifically realistic. There's a God in the heaven who reveals mystery. Now, last week we talked a lot about this, so I will make this quick. Is the Bible a scientific textbook? The answer is... No, it's a history book. It's the history of salvation, but it does describe how the universe works. So a question for you, is the earth round or flat? Go ahead. How do you know? You see the picture of it, right? From outer space, we have this nice round blue globe. Did people always believe that the earth was round? Of course not. Bill Columbus sailed the ocean blue and discovered America in 1492, people believed it was flat. You would sail west and you would literally drop off the face of the earth. But Columbus had read in the book of Isaiah that there is a God in heaven who sits on his throne and looks down at the round earth. What about the wind? Which direction does it blow? Well, it can blow in any direction. Scientists always thought it would only blow in a straight line. Now when you watch your weatherman in the evening, there is that little curvy thing that always goes. What is that called? The jet stream. It goes north and it goes south. It goes east and it goes west. Ecclesiastes has always said that that is the case, that the wind travels in circuit. The last time you went to the doctor when you were ill, did the doctor take a pint of blood out of you? Did he get the leeches and put them on you? Of course not. That was the belief that you had to let out the blood in order to be healed. The Bible has always talked about The life is in the blood. And so I believe in the Bible because it is scientifically realistic. Thirdly, I believe in the Bible because it is prophetically right. Now, the Bible is all kinds of different literature. It's it's history. It's poetry. But 30% of it is prophecy. And amazingly, not one of its prophecies has ever been shown to be false. Okay, um, I'm going to put you married couples on the spot. Uh, Has your husband or wife been 100% right in everything that they've ever said? Uh, Yes, good man, good answer. Other than that. Never is anyone always right. And yet every one of the prophecies has never shown to be false. In the Old Testament alone, there are over 2,000 prophecies that have come to pass. And 300 of them refer to Jesus himself. And these prophecies, they are specific. So again, let me ask you the question... What does the Old Testament say about where Jesus would be born? Does it say somewhere in the eastern part of the world, maybe in the Middle East? No, it says where, what's the town that Jesus will be born? Bethlehem which about 90% of the world wouldn't even have known where it was unless you were a Hebrew, unless you were Jewish, unless you had read the Old Testament prophecy. The wise men couldn't even find exactly where to go until they went to Jerusalem and were told that there is this little town of Bethlehem, which is about seven miles away. 300. Now, how amazing is this? Well, there was a... There was a, a mathematician, his name is Peter Stoner. He wanted to find out just how remarkable this is. So, he calculated not all 300, but if only eight prophecies would be fulfilled. The possibility of all of them being fulfilled in one person, what that what would that probability be? And he said it would be 1 in 10 to the, go ahead and put it up there, 17th power. Do you know how amazing that is? It would be, he said, if you took the entire state of Texas. Anybody been to Texas? Is Texas a big state? Yes, it is. Now he said take a silver dollar, which is about this big, and cover the entire state up to your knees in those silver dollars. And then he says, I am going to take one of you and I'm going to blindfold you and I'm going to put you in the state of Texas and you can go in any direction as far as you want and I want you to pick out the one silver dollar that I put a little black dot on. What is the chances of you being able to do that? one in ten to the 17th power. And that's just eight of the 300 prophecies about Jesus. Put it in perspective. Do you know how many atoms there are in the universe? Well, he calculated that as well, and he said it would be one in 10 to the 80th power. If you were to take just 48 of the prophecies, all fulfilled in one person, it would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And that's just 40. I believe the Bible because it is prophetically right, and yet none of that matters if it isn't personally relevant. So we can agree that the Bible is factual. We can believe that it is truthful, it goes way beyond facts and accuracy. So, for example, I could tell you how many buttons that I have on this shirt. And it could be accurate. And you would say, I don't give a rip, wouldn't you? It doesn't matter. But this does matter. Because it answers those three great questions that we began with. Who am I? And how did I get here? Genesis 1 and 2 tells us immediately that we are children of God. And he lovingly placed us here on this earth so that we might give him glory by loving one another and giving praise to him. And then the second really big question. (laughs) What's wrong with this world? And why is there so much evil and suffering? Genesis chapter 3. When we as human beings were tempted and ate from that free of the knowledge of good and evil, sin came into the world and it has tainted everything. Why we have conflict and sin and evil and suffering and death. And then the third big question, what's the solution? How does all this stuff get fixed? Also in Genesis chapter 3, and then through the entirety of the Bible, the story of a God who loves us, that he would send his son become one of us to experience everything that we do except not reacting in a sinful way. And then going to the cross and suffering and dying in our place so that if we only trust in this God that the Bible describes, not only would we have the abundant life here for whatever years we have on earth, but that we might have eternal salvation and live with that God Perfectly in heaven forever. And so at the end of the day, there are really only two options, aren't there? As we look at this Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth. One is that all the other books, all the religious teachings, they're all wrong or one of them is right. As for me, I'm gonna go with the man that came back from the dead, who said, speaking of his father in heaven, your word is truth. I pray that over these next couple of weeks as we continue to dive deeper, into these big God questions that your faith will grow and that you will be equipped to share your conviction with those around you, that they might go with the Bible as well. Amen. Amen. We have a brief video now, our offering talk for the morning, and then we'll continue with our worship through the Apostles' Creed.